Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Music to the tune of lilies of the sons of Korah and Maskil, a wedding song. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty and your majesty ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia, from palaces adorned with ivory. The music of the strings makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people in your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honour him, for he is your Lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favour. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her. Those brought to be with her, led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sue, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Pete. I'd like to echo Johnny's welcome to you at all. It's lovely to see you here uh, this morning. Do keep your Bibles open at that reading from Psalm 45. It's on page 567 in these church Bibles. Let me pray as we begin. Our Father, we thank you for your precious word that reminds us of your love. And I pray you'd speak to us this morning, encourage us with Christ and his plans for us. In his name we play. Amen. There can be times in the Christian life when we are full of joy in the Lord and we are confident of his love for us. And there can be other times as well. Just before Psalm 45, Psalm 44 ends with uh, these words. The psalmist cries out, why do you hide your face and forget our misery? I wonder if there are some here this morning who 
feel this way about the Lord. Perhaps you've come this morning from a set of circumstances full of pain and confusion. Perhaps you've been crying out to God in prayer for weeks and months and you can't see any sign of him answering your prayers in the changing of your circumstances. And this is often the way, isn't it? Living in this broken, fallen world, we often find ourselves living in pain, exhausted, confused, and when we cannot see God's hand at work in our circumstances, it's very easy to doubt his heart for us. The Psalms are divided up into five books, and so far in our little journey through the Psalms this summer, we've been looking at Psalms from book one, but this morning we're dipping into book two. And book two has begun with three Psalms led by the sons of Korah, and together these three Psalms are full of pain and confusion. God, where are you? How could you let these things happen to my life? I'm crying out to you, but I can't see you acting to rescue and save. And that verse from Psalm 44 pretty much sums up the mood at the beginning of book two of the Psalms. God, why do you hide your face and forget our misery? And then into that darkness suddenly comes Psalm 45. The mood is completely different, we're told. It's a wedding song. It's a song to celebrate the coming together of a bride and a groom. And it's a good match. It's a noble theme that stirs the heart of someone watching on as this wedding takes place. And I think given the context of these psalms, we're meant to understand that this wedding song of Psalm 45 is God's answer to a broken weary heart, unsure of God's plans for his people. But here's the question for each of us here this morning. How does this wedding help us? I mean, it's not exactly a classic cure to a broken heart to go to someone else's wedding. And maybe we're young here this morning and think, well, this idea of getting married just feels like a really random, far-off thought. It doesn't help me today. Well, as Johnny mentioned this morning, in its original context, Psalm 45 was probably written about King Solomon, a great king of Israel, at his wedding day. And for the people of Israel to have a good king who marries well and then has descendants who can sit on the throne after him, it's one of the ways in which the nation is secured. We see in the Old Testament that under Solomon, God's blessing flows to his people. And so one of the ways that God helps his people is to give them good kings, married well, to bring about God's blessing back in the Old Testament. But as we read Psalm 45, we must look beyond King Solomon because the description of this king is far too glorious for him or any other human king. It points us forward to the Lord Jesus. Which means that as we read this psalm this morning... And hear this ancient wedding song. We are actually hearing the music to our future wedding. When Christ returns 
And if we're trusting in him, he takes us, his people, his church, to be his bride. This is the song, this is the melody, this is the joy that will be ours on that final day. God's answer to people who doubt his heart is to tell them about a wedding, a match made in heaven that will undo all the tears and brokenness of this world and put everything right. So let's dive in this morning. Two points as we go through Psalm 45. The first is this, a glorious groom. Uh, Notice his words, verse 2. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace. We all know that words are powerful, that words can wound deeply. In just a few words, a friendship can be ended. Trust can be broken that takes years to fix again. In a wedding context, in a, ma- in a marriage, words can, ha- can cause great damage if they are spoken poorly. But words can also bless and heal and encourage. To be around a person who speaks well, it's a wonderful thing. This groom has gracious words. Then notice his cause, verse 4. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your hand achieve awesome deeds. Uh, This groom isn't the kind of guy who lies around on the sofa doing nothing. No, he's a man of action. And how our world needs this champion for truth, humility, and justice. Uh, Think of the ongoing tragedy in Ukraine as the war there continues. Or closer to home, it's been heartbreaking to watch the news around the trial of Lucy Letby. That nurse found guilty of, of seven murders. Uh, and huge questions remain about how she was able to continue in her role for so long and who else knew and whether there was uh, further damage caused by her yet to be found. Or Andrew Malkinson, uh, wrongly imprisoned for nearly 20 years for a crime he didn't commit. How did that happen? Where is justice there? (laughs) Just a few examples of how our world needs truth, humility, and justice. And even if our own personal experience isn't quite as dramatic as those I've just mentioned, it doesn't take long living in this broken world to discover that we can be victims of injustice and lies. And maybe we're a young person at school, it's hard to be a Christian. Maybe people say things about us that are not true or unfair. That's really difficult. Maybe it's a family breakdown. Maybe it's work politics. Maybe it's a betrayal by a friend. In so many ways, we can experience a loss of justice, a loss of truth. And the promise here is of a groom whose cause is to establish truth, humility, and justice. And he has the power to do it. Verse 6. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You see, this groom is also a king. And he sits on a throne established by God himself. That's the power behind the throne, which means that his kingly reign will succeed and last. In the short term, we see this in King Solomon and how he did bring about wise justice for the God's people for a time. But his throne didn't last forever. And it points us forward to Jesus. 
who sits on that throne now and forever. God's answer to a world of pain and confusion is to tell us about a king who rules with justice, truth, and humility. Which means that today we can look around at our world and we may be baffled by the things we cannot understand in our circumstances where we don't see truth or justice now. But this wedding song tells us a story about how our world will end. King Jesus coming back to sit on the throne to put the world to rights according to these principles that we desperately need. A glorious groom. But the song isn't finished. Next, an eager bride. I look down at verse 10. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The picture, I think, is of a bride in the hotel room getting ready for the wedding ceremony. And she's just having a wobble. Can she really go through with the ceremony about to take place? She's wondering, is it... Can she really entrust her life to this groom she's about to marry? Will she be better off with him as she leaves everyone else? And the psalmist says, yes, go. It's definitely worth joining your life to this groom. And she does go. So verses 13 to 15 describe her journey from the hotel room. She goes from her chamber down and along to the wedding venue where at last, verse 15, she enters the palace and into the presence of her groom. One of the great joys of my job is to take weddings. I get the best uh, seat in the house where I stand, actually, but I kind of stand here often. And um, there's, a, there's a groom here in front of me. I can see his face. And then when the right moment comes, the bride arrives and enters and comes down the aisle. I can see her face as well. And I can see both faces lined up. And I can tell you again and again, joy, smiles, one of the great moments. And that's the mood here in Psalm 45 as this bride arrives before her groom, an eager bride, ready and willing to commit herself to her groom. And for us today, verse 10, may be helpful advice about how to treat the in-laws. But more importantly, it's definitely great advice for how we should feel about our glorious groom, the Lord Jesus. A wedding day is coming when Christ returns. And in the meantime, we have a decision to make. Will we choose him? Will we commit to him, forsaking all other offers that might woo our hearts? And there are reasons why we might have cold feet about that kind of decision in the Christian life. There are other offers in the world for love and support and security that might tempt us away. I think particularly here in Psalm 45... The cause of the cold feet might be because we doubt God's heart for us. You know, if we're baffled by our circumstances and we think, well, how has God let this happen? We then think, why do I want to give my heart and my life to that kind of God? Can I trust him? 
And I think this psalm understands the wobble. The psalmist gets that it can be hard to put our trust in Jesus in this way. But the psalm also reassures us as it points us to this description of the glorious groom. We're being told, yes, we can trust him. His heart is for us. He loves us. And one day he'll come back for us and he'll put our world to rights in the most stunning and joyful way. I wonder if there are some here this morning who perhaps are struggling with this thought of being an eager bride waiting for the return of Jesus. Uh, Maybe for some of us, marriage is a painful topic. And so this picture is difficult for us to engage with. Uh, Maybe we're we're young and the idea of getting married just feels weird and strange and far off. Why is that exciting? Uh, Maybe... We're a woman here this morning who finds it difficult, this language of Psalm 45. It feels perhaps to us oppressive. Uh, Maybe for some men, the thought of being a, a bride feels weird. How does that connect with us emotionally? Well, I think for all those responses, the key in this psalm is to remember the groom. To see that actually what's being offered to us here is a king who loves us and who is for us and who will put the world to rights for our benefit according to truth, humility, and justice. And who here can say we don't need that kind of relationship in our lives? Here then, for all of us, is a song to lift the gloom. Yes, I think almost certainly at times for each of us, we will wonder if God has abandoned us. We can't see his hand at work in our lives. We'll hear his heart this morning. The wedding song of love that shows us our future with him. But as I finish, there may be some here this morning who are still weighing up how we feel about Jesus. Maybe we haven't yet decided to follow him. Well, let me put it this way. Here is a wedding proposal to you The God of the universe is offering a unique relationship with the Lord Jesus that will transform your life forever for good. And the question for you is, will you accept his offer? For others of us this morning, I just wonder, we have accepted his offer, but this description of the bride leaves us feeling a bit intimidated. In verse 11, the king is enthralled by her beauty. In verse 13, she is all glorious in her chamber. Clearly, the sight of her processing down from the room to the wedding chamber is a glorious sight. People are amazed. And we look at ourselves and think, how can I compare to that description of the bride? Many of us spend lots of time trying to buy clothes that flatter our shape and yet even still we don't feel very secure about how we look but even worse than that we know that in the inside in our hearts forget how we look how how we're here inside is a mess if someone really got to know our deep secrets of our hearts our our selfishness our, our, our failures of motive and our impurity who would want us and of course king jesus has x-ray vision he sees it all 
How can he be enthralled with me and with each of us this morning and be wowed by our beauty? Well, Johnny's already hinted at it because in the gospel, the answer is that we are given a beauty as a gift that we do not earn. In Ephesians 5, Paul explains that Jesus came the first time to die on the cross for us to cleanse us from all the stain of sin so that when he comes a second time, we can stand before him washed without stain or wrinkle as a radiant bride ready to meet him with utter security and joy. This means that no matter how many mistakes we have made and and will make in the future, we have been made beautiful, which means the groom is wowed when he looks at us, which means that when he returns for us, it'll be a day of unending joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that speaks into the pain and confusion of this world with a message, a song of joy. Help us to look again at our groom king who's coming back for us, who loves us and will put the world to rights. We praise you for Jesus and in his name we pray. Amen.